Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience podcast featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Tom Guinan, and I'd like to welcome you to the November 27th episode of the Bull Bear Banter. Let's start with this week's market update. March corn futures ended today at 4.35 and a quarter. That's up seven three quarters for the day and up seven week on week. December 2021 corn ended at 4.14 and three quarters, gaining four today and up six and a half for the week. January beans added nine and a quarter today to end at 11.93 and a quarter, gaining another 12 this week. March soybean futures ended at 11.95, up nine and a quarter today and almost 14 cents for the week. Please note that November 2021 futures, while gaining about 10 cents this week and ending around 10.58 today, are now more than $1.35 less than January and March futures. That spread has inverted further this week. As far as our big story this week, during this holiday-shortened week, we're going to have to skip a few of the regular updates as we discuss the bull bear factors. Even though there aren't a lot of big stories this week, there are some things to discuss. The export sales report for the week showed 65.6 million bushels of corn sold and another 28.2 million bushels of soybeans sold. That puts the U.S. at 87% of USDA's projected 2.2 billion bushels for soybeans for the year. Beyond that, there was a flash sale of corn announced today of more than 302,000 tons to Mexico. That's another 11 million bushels there. We continue to expect more Chinese purchases of corn in the near future, too. At the end of today's episode, you're going to get a little bit of an update on a challenge I put in front of you back in May, and you might even get to hear me play the piano before the day's over, so stick around. With that, let's look at some of the other topics impacting corn and soybean prices as we look at this week's bull bear factors. As far as bull factors for corn, export inspections were 32.8 million bushels last week and toward the bottom end of the range of expectations. However, the same week last year saw 24.3 million, or 8.5 million less. In fact, every week of this year has seen more exports than the same week last year. Cumulative totals are now 364 million bushels, up from last year's 221 million. South American weather remains mostly dry. La Nina is still a concern because it could lead to an even lengthier period of dryness and drought there. We'll have to keep an eye on their weather and see if they receive enough timely rains. Crude oil futures have gained a few more dollars a barrel this week, with January West Texas Intermediate up above $46 for a brief bid on Wednesday, and they remain around $45. Corn bear factors include the Brazilian first crop of corn is now estimated at 90% planted versus 83% last week and 86% on average. Corn planting in Argentina is also catching up. They are now estimated at 46% complete versus 46% last year and 47% on average. I know we keep hearing and talking about the dryness in South America, but maybe they've adopted the phrase, plant in the dust and the bins will bust. U.S. ethanol production jumped to 291 million gallons last week, up from 283 the previous week. This is the highest level we've seen since before May. Even with this one-week jump, we're still right in line with the USDA's projections for the year. Soybean bull factors include export inspections for last week that were reported at 73.9 million bushels, right in the middle of the expected range. And while this is a drop from last week and the previous six weeks, it still outpaced the same week of last year. The cumulative total is now 897 million bushels loaded versus 529 million at this point last year. Malaysian palm oil, sunflower oil, and canola oil continue to be in tight supply situations. Soybean oil has been along for the ride. January soy oil hit 39.02 cents per pound last Friday, 
and while it's backed off some this week, it is still trading relatively high compared to soybean meal and soybeans. Soybean meal looked poised to break through the $400 per ton barrier earlier this week, and while it didn't quite get there, it is still relatively strong. On the bare factors for beans, Brazilian soybean planting is catching up pretty quickly and now stands at 74% versus 76% both last year and on average. While Argentina is well behind that pace, they're now estimated at 32%, which is the same as their five-year average and up from 20% the previous week. January soybean futures touched $12 on Monday but failed to break through and have been below that psychological barrier ever since. Besides those two, there really aren't a whole lot of bear factors this week for beans, but I'm also going to continue to highlight the inverse in soybean futures as well as cash prices. I believe this is a selling opportunity for soybeans. Just keep taking a few more chips off the table every so often. And keep paying attention to that new crop 2021 price as well. Just get a few loads sold out there or put in some offers for October 2021. In our What to Watch for and Upcoming Events segment, the Landis Annual Meeting will take place virtually on December 14th, more details on the time and registration process will be announced later. Now that we've got Thanksgiving in the rearview mirror, we'll start to talk more about the major holidays at the end of the year, like Christmas and New Year's. But for those Seinfeld fans in the audience, Festivus is less than four weeks away on December 23rd. Looks like we'll have to celebrate this year without Frank Costanza, as Jerry Stiller died earlier this year. What a great comedic actor. And now for Tom's take. This week I wanted to give you an update on a bet I made with a farmer friend of mine. I talked about this during the May 8th bull bear banter, if you want to go back and listen. I won't go into all of the details, but basically this is where I issued a challenge to my friend and to you. The main gist was that I would commit to start learning to play the piano, and he'd learn about and even use a different marketing alternative or two. And then, by Mother's Day of 2021, we'd compare our progress. Before I get into that, though, I'd like to first read a quick story by one of my favorite authors, Robert Fulgham. You may or may not know that name, but bear with me. He's the guy that wrote the story, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. From there, he wrote a book with that same name, and then he wrote several more books. This story comes from a second book, It Was on Fire When I Lay Down on It, and that really is a completely different story. The one I want to discuss is about John Pierpont. Again, a name you may or may not know. John Pierpont died a failure. In 1866, at age 81, he came to the end of his days as a government clerk in Washington, D.C., with a long string of personal defeats. Things began well enough. He graduated from Yale and chose education as his profession with some enthusiasm. But he was a failure as a school teacher. He was too easy on his students. He turned to the legal world for training. He was a failure as a lawyer. He was too generous to his clients and too concerned about justice to take the cases that brought good fees. The next career he took up was that of dry goods merchant. He was a failure as a businessman. He could not charge enough for his goods to make a profit, and he was too liberal with credit. In the meantime, he had been writing some poetry, and though it was published, he didn't collect enough royalties to make a living. He was a failure as a poet. And so he decided to become a minister and went off to the Harvard Divinity School. He was ordained as a minister of the Hollis Street Church in Boston. But his position for prohibition and against slavery got him crosswise with some influential members of the congregation, and he was forced to resign. He was a failure as a minister. Politics seemed like a place where he could make some difference, and he was nominated as the Abolition Party candidate for governor of Massachusetts. He lost. Undaunted, he ran for Congress under the banner of the Free Soil Party. He lost. He was a failure as a politician. The Civil War came along, and he volunteered as a chaplain for the 22nd Regiment of the Massachusetts Volunteers. Two weeks later, he quit, having found the task too much of a strain on his health. He was 76 years old. He couldn't even make it as a chaplain. 
Someone found him an obscure job in the back offices of the Treasury Department in Washington, and he finished out the last five years of his life as a menial file clerk. He really wasn't very good at that either. His heart just wasn't in it. John Pierpont died a failure. He had accomplished nothing he set out to do or be. There is a small memorial stone marking his grave in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The words in the granite read, Poet, Preacher, Philosopher, Philanthropist. From this distance in time, one might insist that he was not, in fact, a failure. His commitments to social justice, his desire to be a loving human being, his active engagement in the great issues of his time, and his faith in the power of the human mind, these are not failures. And much of what he thought of as defeat became success. Education was reformed, legal processes were improved, credit laws were changed, and above all, slavery was abolished. So why am I telling you all this? It's not an uncommon story. Many 19th century reformers had similar lives, similar failures, and successes. In one very important sense, John Pierpont was not a failure. Every year, come December, we celebrate his success. We carry in our hearts and minds a lifelong memorial to him. It's a song. It's not about Jesus or angels or even Santa Claus. It's a terribly simple song about the simple joy of whizzing through the cold white dark of winter's gloom in a sleigh pulled by one horse and with the company of friends, laughing and singing all the way. No more, no less. Jingle Bells. John Pierpont wrote Jingle Bells. To write a song that stands for the simplest joys, to write a song that three or four hundred million people around the world know, a song about something that most have never done but they can imagine, a song that every one of us, large and small, can hoot out the moment the chord is struck on the piano and the chord is struck in our spirit. Well, that's not failure. One snowy afternoon in deep winter, John Pierpont penned the lines as a small gift for his family and friends and congregation, and in so doing, left behind a permanent gift for Christmas, the best kind. Not the one under the tree, but the invisible, invincible one of joy. Okay, so I'm not the best at playing the piano yet, but I'm trying. My teacher tells me it's hard to learn something new as an adult. You need to start at the beginning and go slow and then build on it and just keep trying. I wonder about my friend. When I see him next spring, will he have made any progress? What about you? Please don't think of it as failure if you're not good at marketing grain. Just get started. And if you're still looking for one alternative to try, I'm going to suggest the bonus premium. The next time you sell 5,000 bushels or more, talk to your grain marketing advisor about adding a bonus premium onto the sale. Just do it once and learn how it really works. Track it monthly and then see if you don't have a good story to talk about come next Mother's Day. As always, I appreciate you listening to the Bull Bear Banter. If you'd like, you can send a tweet to at Landis Co-op or just drop an email to podcast at LandisCooperative.com with any comments or questions. Our tagline is bears make money, bulls make money, and pigs just go to market. If you have questions regarding any grain marketing decisions, please reach out to your area grain marketing advisor. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week. Music